0: Welcome to another episode of the Finding Hope Podcast from Rogue Retreat. Podcast hosting service is Anchor.fm. You can hear this podcast on many providers such as Stitcher, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Music courtesy of Jason Shaw. And now, we continue with the latest episode of Finding Hope. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Finding Hope podcast episode number 35. Feeling live at 35. That's very good. And we have our guest that's here, our next victim, <laughs> who is... Who is Susan, uh, do you have a
1: last name? I do have a last name. Would you like to know how to pronounce it?
2: Yes, okay. that would be amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's C's knack, like C's candy, and okay. like C's the day, yeah. and then knack, like having a knack at something. Oh, oh all, all right. right. I, I like it.
2: it. You know, as a person with a complicated last name, I can appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> yes,
1: gosh. Exactly. Exactly.
0: a long time to get used to saying that name, too. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're going to have a nice little conversation with Susan,
2: and Matt is going to kick things off. All right. Well, Susan, thank you for um, being willing to be a part of our podcast. Um, this is our 35th episode, mm-hmm. so thank you again for being here. And um, and so can you tell us a little bit about what you do currently for rubber Treat?
1: Well, that's a loaded question for right I know. now. So right, right now, currently, because yeah. of uh, the COVID nineteen restrictions and because of Foundations for Recovery being temporarily shut down, um, I have shifted my work um, to helping Matt with some research, grant research, and grant writing. Um, but Thank I'm very so, much it. Well, I'm I'm loving it. It's great, um, but. With Foundations for Recovery, basically, well, my title is recovery services coordinator and trainer. Mm-hmm. And basically, um, FFR is um, a peer mentoring organization. And last year, we we merged with Rogue Retreat so that um, we're now under the umbrella of Rogue Retreat, but we still are our own separate um, department, I guess. and. Mm-hmm. So part of my job is to um, coordinate the trainings and to coordinate uh, supervision. There's a required supervision for our peer support specialists. So I coordinate that um, and just work with women um, who are needing recovery. So part of my job is is actually as a recovery coach. So, Can
2: you tell us a little bit about what a recovery coach is?
1: That is a good question. So, um, so in Oregon, they call they call it peer support specialist. That's the technical title. Um, other places say recovery coach. They maybe say peer mentor, um, but they they all refer to the same thing. And that is to come alongside somebody who has been through a similar, um, who's going through a similar situation as maybe you've experienced. Um, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but just that that piece of I've been there and I've uh, overcome this difficulty and I'm still overcoming it. And mm-hmm. just coming alongside to help another person, um, not only to initiate recovery, but to sustain that recovery. So we're not a counselor. We're not a sponsor. Um, there's a specific training that's required for a peer support specialist or a recovery coach Mm -hmm. and you have to have a similar life experience or lived experience to the person that you're working with. So for me, my lived experience looks a little bit different than some others, but there's still that element of maybe the underlying trauma, maybe my uh, addiction or my, you know, my um, particular struggle Um, with addiction is a little bit different but maybe I can relate because this woman is going through a divorce and I've been through that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or this this woman has experienced a particular type of trauma that I can relate to I've been through that and I've come out the other side so to speak I've kind of resolved that part of my life and am able to give back um, to that person so we, at, at FFR, we always have the men working with men and women with women. And I believe it's very similar to what Rogue Retreat as a whole uh, uh, mm-hmm. embraces that idea. Um, a lot of times, <clears throat> I know that women might be uncomfortable with a man. Maybe they've had some past sexual trauma or something like that. and And so it's just more comfortable with another woman. And we can relate to some of the same things. So that's kind of the... Embrace. Yeah.
2: Um, Can you, um, so one of the things that you kind of hit on a little bit that I always found interesting is, um, is the power of peer to peer support. Um, You know, one of the things about recovery coaching and being a peer support specialist that seems so intriguing to me is that there seems to be something that is a little bit disarming when it is a, a, a peer that is talking to you rather than a clinician. And um, can you talk a little bit about why um, that uh, approach seems to work better in certain cases for some people?
1: Yeah, um, one of the things that we teach in our training is about the power differential. And I know yeah. you're talking a different kind of powerful, but um, but I think part of what makes recovery coaching or peer support effective and powerful for the person receiving that type of care is that, um, that power differential. In other words, um, I'm not one up from them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the same. You know, we, I might have a little more experience in dealing with the struggle, but I can relate to them and I'm not telling them how to run their recovery. I'm not a clinician who's saying, well, in order to get to from point A to point B, you need to do one, two, three, four, five, you need to do these things um, as a peer, what I'm saying is I'm going to come alongside you while you decide what you want to do for your recovery. And then I will support you in that. And of course there are times when maybe people have ideas that are kind of out there and, and we don't, we suspect that's not really going to work. Um, for instance, I, I had, um, excuse me, I was working with a gal who, um, Really wanted to not drink wine, but she still wanted to drink beer. Mm-hmm. And so, in my mind, I've never seen people be successful with that. But moderation is a a viable model. You know, we have abs the abstinence model. We have uh, moderation. We have medical medicated medication assisted treatment. There's different ways people can approach it. So. With that, I said, okay, well, I'm going to support you in that. So what's that going to look like? And we made some plans and, you know, she had some things in place and she was able to be successful at that for a while. Um, And so I was able to support her in it. Now when the time came that it wasn't working for her and she needed to do something different, I hadn't closed the door on the conversation by saying that's not going to work and I'm not going to support that. But because Mm -hmm. there's no, power, I'm, I don't have any power over her. Um, I'm not standing there saying that's not going to work. You can't do it that way. Um, that the door stays open to communication. And so it's naturally natural for her to say that didn't work for me. Like help me figure out what to do next. And then I can just come alongside. So that's kind of why it's so powerful because it's, it's someone who's been through something that's similar someone who understands the struggle and isn't Mm -hmm. there to tell a person what to do. And, and it, it empowers, it's an empowering type of support that says, you know, you best. We talk about treating people as objects, as recipients, Mm -hmm. or as resources. And when you treat someone like a resource and say, you know, you best, I don't know what's best for you, but you do. So Let's try to, you know, I can support you while you figure that out. And then I can support you while we carry out your plan. And that really empowers people. Um, And in that kind of support, you know, we can say, well, let's talk about why this might work. And let's look at why it might not work. So that can help you look at it from all sides and kind of, you know, figure out what you want to do. So I think that's, that's why it's a powerful tool, a powerful model
2: yeah it almost sounds like the relationship between the peer and the participant is like kind of the primary piece of the whole thing,
1: yeah exactly, and we teach that it's all about the relationship when you first get to know somebody, there are some things you wouldn't say to them, but mm-hmm. later, when you've developed that trust that comes with um time and having shared some really tough pieces of life together um, there's there's a trust built that you can then speak honestly. And we talk about one of the roles of a peer support specialist is being a truth teller. You know, we, we advocate, we support, but we also tell the truth. So when we need to, we can say, look, I, I'm not sure about this and, and maybe you need to consider doing something else. But we don't necessarily do that the first time we meet them because we don't have that relationship. So... That's a, that's so you always
2: have to get to know each other.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: Okay. So, Susan, you've mentioned the training a couple times. And I know that um, with FFR, you guys do have a state-certified um, peer support specialist training. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys do to help credential people?
1: Yes. So the, the state requires a minimum of 40 hours training and our training has been submitted to the Oregon Health Authority and it is state approved. Um, so when we do a training, w- first of all, we need to, um, I, I do the homework of um, who is this person that wants to be trained? Do they fit? Um, in other words, sometimes we get people who they've never been homeless. They, they've never experienced um, the struggle of, of addiction. Uh, they've never experienced domestic violence or divorce or they're not a veteran that like they don't fit any of the um, they don't have a mental health struggle. You know, they don't really, they haven't had those experiences. So they're not usually the best fit. Um, they can still take the training. It's just, um, if they don't have the kind of lived experience that matches up with the people they want to work with, they don't match the, the true intent of a peer. So mm-hmm. I do some like that, That work Um, and then of course the training during the training we try to present community resources so I have lots of people coming in and sharing um, what they do so that people have lots of ideas on how to be a resource broker of course that's another one of the the roles of a peer support specialist is is a resource broker Um, Mm -hmm. with the COVID-19 thing we had to we had to put our training on hold uh, but it got me to thinking about what parts of that, you know, maybe going forward we have to look at it a little bit differently. Instead of having a large group of people gathering in close quarters for five days, you know, maybe it needs to look a little bit different. So we're exploring some ways to put parts of it, um, maybe on into a a webinar, <laughs> so that people can learn the skills in the safety and comfort of their own home or not the skills, but the knowledge pieces. So, um, recently I was on a webinar with the folks from the Oregon health authority, and they talked about, um, just some things to think about in deciding whether to do an online, um, training, like whether to, uh, put parts of it online or whatever. Anyway, they talked about knowledge, skills, and attitudes, And so knowledge is pretty easy. You can go online and you can read some stuff and now, you know, Mm -hmm. but the skills of how to, how to apply that knowledge, that's a little bit different. That's a little harder to learn by watching a webinar. Mm -hmm. Right. And then of course there's the attitudes. So those, again, it, it takes a face to face and like being in a room with a bunch of other people and sharing what you know it's empowering for people, and it also validates. Like, yeah, I I knew that. And when they get to share their story, it's like, wow, that really cements the learning. So adults learn differently from kids. Kids, their brain is in a different uh, state of development. So they, to help their brain develop, they need lots of memory work and things like that. But as an adult, we learn more experientially. So that's the big part of the the training that really needs to be face-to-face, but still going forward. What's up?
2: So it can be more hands-on, basically, for the experiential piece.
1: Yeah, yeah. So doing some role-play exercises, you know, Mm -hmm. really talking about different situations and what would you do Mm -hmm. in those situations, um, things like that. So we're really looking at how can we maybe put some of the segments onto our Hope University um, platform, and allow people to have access to those before they come to the class so that the class, the in-class experience would be very powerful and very hands-on and very much um, that experiential learning. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And so Susan, you mentioned COVID-19 and I know that um, it did um, impact the training that we had. Was there any other impacts that FFR felt from COVID-19?
1: I think so. I, I, I just sent out an email to all of our volunteer coaches and um, one of them wrote back. She said, it's really been difficult. She's stayed in touch with a couple of her participants, but it's really been difficult to, you know, because you don't have that face-to-face contact. You can't read, you can't always read where a person is really at through a text or even (laughs) some phone conversation. Um, So it's been a real struggle. And I told her, yeah, I've noticed that too. Some of my gals, I just haven't, you know, we talked at first, but now it's just like we're just going to put our head down and weather this thing and get through it, and then we'll meet again. And it's, it, it, I think it's been hard. I think it's been hard for people. I've heard about a lot of relapses. I think mm-hmm. um, not being able to have that face-to-face has really affected people, you know, maybe not it feels everybody like- but-
2: yeah, okay. it, it definitely it feels like it has. Um, there seems to be a lot more isolation um, because of the stay at home order, and um, I think a lot of people are struggling with the idea of having human connection um, through Zoom or social media or whatever. There's um, something there's something that's missing, I think it just has to do with the isolation people are facing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, uh, I've talked to a couple other people too, <laughs> like who have said. I don't usually watch TV like this, but I think we're, our (laughs) inner, there's like, I know in me, there's this inner, like, I'm a little stressed out. I'm, I'm aware of it, but not a hundred percent fully. Um, I'm trying to like, just weather it and get through it. And so, um, when I get home from work or when I'm done with my work, if I'm working from home, I, I turn on the TV, I play, solitaire on my phone <laughs> I feel like I'm doing something productive and multitasking so it makes me feel a little better about myself but I'm really not being productive with my time but do you,
0: I, I, there's a, do you think do you think there's a type of thing where we compartmentalize things too so we don't always see the full, full impact of what we think we see or think we know at times yeah because I, I i think that it's so easy to get
1: overwhelmed
0: and and you go and you you, you kind of look and you think, oh, do i uh, and I, I'm gonna say that I okay do I see what I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I do I mean it's just like even even coming here and doing what we do here in this Particular cubicle, mm-hmm. and it's like okay, but but it's so nice when something that is a little bit normal, uh, whatever the right. normal will be. But it is hard, and and for me, I, I I have to do this as a blind person. We're more used to being isolated. Oh, certainly, because we mm-hmm. are in that place. We don't have the freedoms that I always say this, that you sighties say, say take for mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it can't be hard. But then also
2: I'm thinking, hey, welcome to my world. Yeah. Right.
1: You know? Right. right.
2: So, We're all getting so a little
1: taste of how the other people live.
2: Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and so Susan, as a as a peer support specialist and a trainer, um, for, um, for peers, do you have any advice that you might give to people, um, that might be feeling isolated during the stay at home work?
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, isolation is a tough one because you're being told to (laughs) don't go, you know, six feet away from people. So those of us who, you know, physical touch is my love language and I don't get those hugs and things that I'm used to. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I think don't, Maybe my advice to myself is don't get in your head about it. Don't get, don't let it make you feel like you are all alone mm-hmm. right now. I mean, there's a lot of commercials on TV if you're watching TV, but, um, that are saying, you know, let's be alone together, you know? Yeah, and I think alone you
0: know,
1: <laughs> that's a great idea. It can be comforting to know, like we're all in this together and everyone is experiencing the same struggle. I think it's different for extroverts versus introverts. I think there's a thing too. So it kind of depends. some people are really finding a lot of life and everything through the Zoom uh, recovery meetings, uh, through Facebook, you know, just kind of anything that you can do to feel a little more connected. And I think just um, this is also a time to maybe do some of that deeper work um, You know, instead of trying to mask in our day-to-day life, we can kind of mask a lot of painful things because we're busy. And now that we're not as busy, we have to be face-to-face with that discomfort, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so maybe seeking out some, like an online counseling service or things like that. There's a lot of different like crisis lines and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I think if people are feeling like, uh, I'm not doing well, you know, call the crisis line, call, you know, especially if you're feeling suicidal, there are, there are mm-hmm. hotlines that you can call and have caring people on the other mm-hmm. end to listen to you and to kind of help you process through what's happening. But same Absolutely. thing if you're, if if you're feeling like I, I, I know for me, <laughs> I'm finding myself and I kind of step back from myself and I watch this and I'm like, that that's really unusual but I'm getting irritated at little things that I normally would be like not they wouldn't even be a thing but I'm getting mm-hmm. irritated and then I start to fixate on it and I'm looking at myself going why is this happening but I think it's that internal stress maybe like Stan said it's a you're trying to compartmentalize it and keep it out of your awareness so that you can continue to function
0: um, you, you- You know, another thing I always like to say too is sometimes it's important to drown out the noise too. Sometimes, because a lot of times, even with with uh, I call anti social media, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you can become bombarded so much that you have to drown out the noise and do something nice for yourself.
1: Go
0: read a book. Take a walk, whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really important. And I think um, that brings up a good point. Uh, I've tried not to overwatch the news. I uh-huh. might watch maybe once or twice a week um, because otherwise you can just get caught up in what everybody's saying. Same thing with social media. People mm-hmm. are saying a lot of things that might not be true. And you know how that goes, like the the old telephone game game where you know the actual information is correct to start out with, but by the time it goes through a bunch of people, it's distorted and not accurate.
0: Well, and how many exercises been- have you done? Because I had, <laughs> because I was in the I was in speech and communication, <laughs> and you go and you watch and you watch how the thing goes from one person to another to another. And it's totally different by the time it gets to the end, yeah, <laughs> it absolutely is, so when you Susan, get I was,
1: information, <laughs> I was gonna say, when you get that information and you're the like sixth or eighth in line to hear it, and it's been distorted, it creates fear, it creates anxiety because now mm-hmm. you don't know and you're worried that it's actually true, and maybe it's not true, you know, yep. so I don't, I don't know.
2: Yeah and so Susan um I know that FFR is go- is kind of going through some e- evolution at the moment um what is your kind of vision for what FFR will um kind of grow into
1: I missed part of that it was a little garbled so what is my oh, what sorry.
2: Yeah what is your vision I mean F- I know that FFR is um kind of evolving at the moment what is your yeah. vision for yes. what FFR will grow into
1: Well um I really see us going through a time of streamlining and pulling back to the basic thing that we were were set up to do, and that is to provide support, recovery support. So the question is, how are we going to do that in such a way? We kind of had a big budget and a lot of expenses that maybe we don't really need to have. And going forward, um, mm-hmm. you know, the possibility of moving to a smaller location, um, you know, where we can just focus in on what we do and, and not try to um, have a drop in, large drop in center, but maybe we meet people out in the community, we have a little more outreach, um, mm-hmm. meet people where they're at, we don't need a, a lot of rooms and a big space, you know, to to do that work, and I think we've kind of gotten a little off track with with that, and then the you know, of course, the financial stress of like we have this great program, um, and how do we keep it going? So I think, you know, pulling in a little bit, reevaluating what are the mm-hmm. things that we need to do, what does Rogue Retreat need us to do, what does the community need us to do, what um, what service or what you know, what can we provide to the community? <clears throat> based on what the community needs. And so we're just kind of looking at all that stuff and um, not getting stuck on what we think it should look like, but Mm -hmm. being open and willing to be guided in a new direction. So, and I I, I don't see us not doing recovery work. That's what we, Mm -hmm. that's what we do. You know, and of course the training might look a little bit different. I, I think they're gonna need to be a little bit smaller. Um, going forward. But that's okay, because, you know, we, we can still do that work. Um, peers need proper supervision to stay in their role. And um, it's easy to step outside of your role and be trying to do work that's, that's not what is um, in in your lane, so to speak. And so just that supervision piece, that's going to be part of it, at least what I see. Um, yeah, maybe, um, like I was talking about earlier, uh, getting some of the training pieces online so people can access it, um, mm-hmm. as part of their yeah. training.
2: You know, and I think that's one of the positive impacts that COVID has had on a lot of, uh, organizations is, um, it's forcing us to have to adapt to doing things in a different way. Um, yeah. and I think that ultimately that's just going to help us be able to reach more people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to step back and kind of take the pulse of uh, the community and of our organization and see what's really going on and what we need to do to make it more effective.
2: Absolutely.
1: So right. I, I think some good things are going to happen, and um, and I think we're we're going to be better for it
2: so absolutely we're looking forward to the evolution of ffr (laughs) 2.0 exactly i love
1: that
2: yes and so susan we're we try to keep these to about a half hour and so we're coming Mm -hmm. down to the end of our time here um but one of the way things i like last questions i like to ask is if you were to encounter somebody that literally had no hope what would your message be to them wow Welcome to the sound Yes.
0: (laughs) And that gets everybody, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's a, 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 it makes people think.
1: (laughs) You know, I guess based on my own life experience and my faith, I know that there's always hope. And for me to turn to my higher power and um, to the people around me that, that are my supporters, that gives me hope. So I guess I would encourage them, you know, don't give up. Don't, don't, um, don't isolate, you know. Um, I, I met with someone the other day who um, at a park, we were six feet apart. <laughs> you know, we did all the right <laughs> things. But, um, you know, it's like, well, I don't want people to know what's going on. You know, and we isolate like that, that feeling of hopelessness really compounds and I know in my own experience as I tried to hide what was going on I just felt I did feel hopeless but once I found a person to talk to about it and got it out in the open and found that the person was receptive and didn't judge me you know those are things that gave me hope so so I would say you know we we have two types of relationships we have the the vertical you know to our higher power, and then we have those horizontal relationships to the people that um, love us and care about us and, and you know so stay in those relationships and mm-hmm.
0: but do you also you more hope but do you also think too uh, uh, this is why I think that I think probably you might agree, that you have to learn to be your own best friend and like yourself with who you are and realize you're not perfect
1: yeah yeah i'm pretty close though <laughs> I, oh man <laughs> yeah. self-acceptance because if you walk in shame the shame of like oh i'm just a terrible person but once i know for me being kind to myself and saying look you know, I ate four cookies last night, and I really didn't want to, but I did it. And so I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to go forward. That's why I brought cookies to work today, so that I don't eat them. <laughs> <Thank> you, <Susan. laughs> so you guys can eat them. Oh, got a sugar headache from that one. But, um, yes. but yeah, just but, – but it's about – you're right. It's about accepting who you are and where you're at in that moment. And not beating yourself up because that just feeds right back into the cycle of addiction. You know, that shame piece brings you back into the behavior, which causes more shame. And so you got to pay. that.
0: And Stan is going to avoid those cookies.
2: I've been doing very well. <laughs> yes, yeah, Stan I know. not going to do it. Stan I even mean, avoided Taco, taco Tuesday. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> well, Susan.
2: Yes, thank you so much for um, being our guest on this um, this episode of Finding Hope. And um, Stan, would you like to take us home? Yes,
0: I would like to take you home and have you do something nice for yourself. Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> this concludes episode 35. Wow, of the
1: thank Hope
0: you. Podcast. Thank you. And yeah. uh, i remind you, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Stitcher, and all those places. And you can even listen with the A-Lady Alexa on your Amazon devices. So until next time, do what you can, but behave yourself. Stay well, everybody. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Susan. Thank
1: you. Thanks, you guys.